Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, Hope Church. I asked Pastor Teddy to finish our time of worship with that song because that's how I want to begin the message this morning. If you didn't know the song Amazing Grace, which has been sung all over the world, almost every person in the room probably heard and knows those words, was written by a man named John Newton. John Newton has a very interesting story. I encourage you to go. There's a couple movies made about it and some other things. You can look up his life. But he has an amazing story, an amazing testimony. John Newton, as a younger man, he called his own life vile. He was a part of the slave trade in England. He was the captain of slave ships. And God miraculously, amazingly changed John Newton's life. He saved him. He would end up becoming a pastor. And he was a, instrumental in, in abolishing the slave trade in England. Again, I'm, I'm not doing his story justice this morning. But I, I want to get to where he was actually preaching on New Year's Day in 1773. That's where I want us to begin today. New Year's Day at his church. He was, this is years before the song was written. He was preaching a sermon to his church, and he was encouraging his church and challenging his church to think about really what we've been practicing already this morning, to think about the goodness of God in our own lives. He said, church, in 1773, he said, what has God done in your life? Think about all that God has done in your life. Who were you before you met God? Who were you? He said, for me, personally, I was a wretch. He said, I was blind, but now I see. Years later, of course, those very true and very personal words would be pinned into the song Amazing Grace that has now been sung for generations. And that's really where I want us to, to begin this morning is to think about what we've already been practicing. Thinking about your own life. What has God done in your life with his amazing, amazing grace? This morning, I went on a walk as the sun was coming up, and it was really cold outside, and I bundled up, and I'm going on a walk, and that's exactly what I did, because I knew I'd be preaching this morning, and so I just literally, if you saw a guy walking down the street just talking out loud to himself, I wasn't talking to myself, I was talking to Jesus, and I was just praising God for all the amazing things by his amazing grace that I've just seen him do in my life. His amazing grace and salvation, he, it makes us a lot of things. If we look at the word, it makes us children of God. We praise God for that. His amazing grace and salvation, the Bible says it makes us redeemed. We are bought back into a relationship with God. We are forgiven of all of our sin. 
We are righteous. We are blessed. The amazing grace of God and salvation makes us holy. And we love and celebrate those things. But the amazing grace of God and salvation also makes us something that we don't talk about a whole lot. That we're going to talk about here this morning. The amazing grace of God and salvation, you can read it very clearly in the word, makes us all as Jesus followers missionaries. We've been in the last couple weeks, uh, an emphasis called Hope for the World, and that's concluded, but we're going to continue to talk about what it looks like to be a missionary because really it's not just a two-week emphasis. It should be the the pattern of our lives as Jesus followers. We've we've boiled it down into a a really clear statement that that I want to put on the screen. Here's the statement. If you're a Jesus follower, you're a missionary. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm all down with the Jesus follower part, but I'm not a missionary, Scott. I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a mom. I'm just trying to raise some good kids. Man, I, I'm a Jesus follower. I would say I'm a Christian, but I'm just a teacher. I'm just trying to handle 30 kids in my classroom and, and all the different things I deal with as a teacher. I'm not a missionary. Man, I'm just a mechanic. I'm a Jesus follower, but I'm just a mechanic, or I'm just a 10th grader at Liberty High School. I'm, I'm not a missionary. Well, church, we have to get around the reality that the New Testament knows nothing of believers on the sidelines. You open the words of Scripture. It's kind of a a new phenomenon, honestly, in the American church, but you can't open up the Scriptures and find passionate Jesus followers not involved in the kingdom. It was just who they were. If they were Jesus followers, they were missionaries. So that's really what we're going to press into because, again, we see it all over Scripture. We've, We've heard some really good Scriptures about being on mission the last couple weeks, We've heard and we've seen on t-shirts or coffee cups or verses like Romans 10, 14. It's Paul the Apostle talking to a church in Rome. And he says this, he says, but how can they, the they in this verse means people that don't know Jesus. How can they call on him, that's Jesus, to save them unless they believe him? And how can they believe if they've never heard? And here he says this, how can they hear unless somebody tells them? Well, church, that somebody is the church. If you're a Jesus follower, you're a missionary. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, these are some of Jesus' last words to his disciples. He, he dies, he resurrects, as we just sang about it, and he comes back resurrected, and he is telling his church, here's what's next. In Acts chapter 1, it's how the book of Acts starts. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even the remotest parts of of the earth at hope how we boil that down is Las Vegas the west and the world. He's saying you Jesus follower, it's not just some elite group over here. He's saying you Jesus follower, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're a Christian, you're a missionary in Las Vegas, the west, the world. And I want us to think about this. I want us to maybe you're not quite sold yet, right? Think about this. How on earth did it go from, the guest speaker did a great job last week of talking about how there was a few hundred people that saw the resurrection. How on earth did it go from a few hundred poor, uneducated people hearing and seeing the resurrected Jesus to now here we are in 2019, there's 7.8, 7 point something billion people on planet earth. Millions and millions and millions of them claim to follow Jesus. How did it go from a couple hundred people in an upper room with Jesus to now millions of people calling on that name for salvation? How did this message of Jesus move throughout Asia and Africa and South America and North America, literally all over the globe? Maybe you've never thought about that. But here's what I can tell you. It didn't happen by a Billy Graham crusade, as awesome as those were. That's hundreds of people. We're talking about millions of people. 
And Billy Graham did amazing stuff while he was on this earth before he went to heaven, but he was only around for 100 years or so. Maybe it was the televangelists. Man, they, they do a great job and they look good doing it. Maybe it was the televangelists in every home in America. Well, no, that can't be it because television's only been around for 50, 60, 70 years, so that can't be it either. Well, maybe it was the, the mega church and people got invitations to the local mega church where they could come hear a really eloquent speaker with lights and a band and all the screens and everything. Maybe that's what led to this explosive growth. Well, Again, that's kind of a new phenomenon. In the course of human history, the, the local megachurch, this situation that we're in right now is nothing compared to the scope of human history. So how did it happen? Christianity spread across the globe by the Holy Spirit of God using ordinary people to have really, really, really important conversations with other people about Jesus. We've been calling them gospel conversations, and we're just going to press down on that a little bit more today. These gospel conversations are happening in large cities and in rural villages, in, in coffee shops, on airplanes, in classrooms, in homes. People who know Jesus talking to other people who don't know Jesus and inviting them to follow Jesus. That is how it went from a few hundred to millions See, we have these new tools these days that we, that we maybe lean on a little too much. But here's the reality. If you're a Jesus follower, you're a missionary. You can't read the New Testament and get away from this idea. So for the sake of clarity, as we jump into a message about talking about gospel conversations, I want to give us a definition today. Gospel conversation is simply this. Speaking about the transforming power of Jesus with another person and inviting them to follow him. You and I, wherever we are in life, wherever we are for work and school and we're in our homes, we are speaking about the transforming power of Jesus with another person and inviting them to follow him. We are telling people what has happened to us. And we challenged us. A couple weeks ago as a church, you'll see that big board over there on the wall. We challenged us between a couple weeks ago and Christmas Eve that we want to have our church have a thousand gospel conversations this, in this season of our church. We want, we want to challenge you as you, where you live, work, and play, having a thousand gospel conversations. And so we have this board over here as representation, where as you have a gospel conversation, you write somebody's name on one of those sticky notes and you roll it up. And we have a, the, the one over there as a thousand holes where we're putting a thousand names that are people who have heard the gospel by the people of hope. Church. And so we're going to continue to look at that idea by looking at a powerful story right out of Jesus' life. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, we find a powerful story right out of the life of Jesus. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have a copy of the scriptures. I hope this encourages you and challenges you. For me, as I prepared this message, I was extremely, I'm not preaching at you today. I am talking about something that I have been challenged with deeply. As we look at this story right out of the life of Jesus, here's what it says in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. We're going to read a bunch of scripture and then talk about it a little bit and We'll move forward today. Here's what it says in John 9, 1. As he, that's Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, we have a lot of scripture to read, but we have to stop right there because that stopped me in my tracks as I was studying this passage. He saw a man. That's the first thing I want to see out of Jesus' life. Jesus saw this guy. Because we know what it's like in our lives to, to see people and not really see people. Right, like this guy, we're going to read in the story, Jesus is about to change his life. Jesus is about to do amazing things in his life. But this guy was not looked at very highly in the culture. 
He was a blind beggar, and people might have saw him, but they didn't see him. Jesus saw him. We see this all over Jesus' life. There's a promiscuous woman in John chapter 4. She was there at the time she was there because nobody wanted to be around her, but Jesus saw her and met her and changed her life. My favorite story in all of Scripture is in John chapter 5. It's about this guy who's been crippled. He's been paralyzed for 30-plus years. And all day, every day, for 30-plus years, he sits by this pool hoping to be healed. And people walk by him. In the course of his life, probably millions of people have walked by this guy, not even paying attention. But Jesus saw him. Jesus goes up to him and says, pick up your mat and walk. Today you're healed. Jesus saw him. Zacchaeus is a tax collector in Luke chapter 19. Again, an amazing story. This guy is a tax collector. If you don't know much about that, this guy stole people's money for a living. Nobody liked this guy. And for whatever reason, the Bible also tells us he was a really short guy, which was also kind of looked at as an outsider in society. So this guy was a short guy that stole people's money. Nobody saw him. So Jesus is in his town, and Zacchaeus can't see over everybody, so he jumps in a tree. And out of all the maybe, maybe thousands of people that were there that day, Jesus looks up at the tree and sees Zacchaeus. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down there, bud. We're going to have lunch at your house today because I see you. Jesus changed his life. Jesus was always sensitive to people. That just struck me as I prepared this message. He was sensitive to people. He looked at people that the rest of the, the, rest of the culture had said, you're a failure. You're not worthy. Jesus saw him. Jesus had love for people. He saw them as who they were, and that is image bearers of God. So I want us to apply that. Like I've been trying to apply this this week. Are you sensitive to people like that? Now for me, as soon as I read this, I thought about when I get off at, 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 on Eastern Avenue off the 215, there's always somebody there, and I see them, but I don't know if I see them. You have those kind of people in your lives, but you know they're there, but you're not really paying attention because I got stuff to do, and I'm right there with you. And God really used an unexpected tool to kind of really start convicting me of this. And that's my 10 and 8-year-old kids, Bryce and Avery. See, at the beginning of this year, my wife uh, began taking them every couple weeks to this amazing ministry we partner with here at Hope called Goodness Gracious. It's a ministry that, that reaches out and, and really comes alongside and loves and supports the homeless community here in Las Vegas. So back in January, my wife began every other Wednesday taking my oldest two, sometimes the little guys go, but the oldest two every other week go and they hang out with who they call their homeless friends. If you're ever hanging out with my family and you talk about my, it happened the other day, somebody, the kids were talking about their homeless friends and the person we were with kind of looked like, what is he talking about, right? Like it's my kids hanging out with people that they don't look at as failures, they look at as friends. They literally go, and they, my son Bryce talks about Star Wars with this guy, and they talk it up about what's going to happen in the newest Star Wars coming out in December. And these people really are people to my kids. So now when we're driving, this is just as transparent as I can be. When I might not see somebody, my kids go, hey, I wonder if that person knows about what we do at Sunset Park on Wednesdays. We should tell them. Or, hey, Dad, can we stop? Or maybe that's one of my friends from the homeless ministry that we partner with. And I have been challenged to see people a little more like Jesus because of my 10- and 8-year-old kids. He saw this man. I promise we're not going to do this with every single verse of this, but we're going to keep continuing in this passage. <laughs> Chapter 9, verse 1, he saw him, and here's what he said. And his disciples asked him, picking up in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Because they want to know, in that society, something's wrong with him. Somebody must be at fault. Jesus answered, it was neither that 
that this man sinned, nor his parents, but it was that so the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, this, this honestly, if you're new to the Bible, this story gets a little weird, but just keep tracking with me. Because when he said this, Jesus spits on the ground, he makes clay of the spittle, and he applied the clay to his eyes. You're thinking, that's gross. That is pretty gross, but it's just how Jesus chose to work. And said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went away and washed and came back seen. Therefore, the neighbors, so something's going on here. The neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar, again, this guy was nothing to them. They walked by him every day. We're saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, 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 but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? And here's where we're going to zero in a little bit today. He answered, the man who was called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said, go to wash in the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went away and I washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Now these people, honestly, I love where it goes in this passage. They don't really know what to do with that. They're like, this is crazy. Let's go bring this guy to our religious people so they can tell us what this means. So right there, they bring him to the religious Pharisees because they're like, uh, explain this, religious Pharisees. So in verse 13, they brought him to the Pharisees and the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, I washed, and I see. Now we're going to skip a bunch of verses here because I love what happens. The, the religious people don't know what to do with this. The Pharisees, they're like, ah, we, if we say this is a miracle, then this Jesus guy is for real. So we got to figure out maybe this guy's making this up because he wants to try to go viral and be famous in our society. Let's bring his parents because something is obviously up here because it can't really be the miracle. So they go get his parents. And they say, hey, was this guy born blind? Can you help us explain this thing? Because they're trying to explain it away. And his parents say, uh, you can go read the story later. But his parents say, this man is a grown man. Ask him. So we'll pick it up in verse 24. So a second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, get, now they're starting to get mad. Give glory to God. We know that this man, talking about Jesus, is a sinner. He then answered, listen, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that though I was blind, now I see. So Jesus sees this guy. Doesn't just walk past him, he sees him. He steps in and he serves and he meets this amazing physical need. But I love that the story doesn't end there. Because eventually Jesus saves him. See, what happened is the religious leaders freak out and they kick him out of the synagogue, which is a really big deal in the first century. You are no longer welcome as a part of us. They're mad that this man who hasn't been able to see his whole life now sees. That's what religion can do to us sometimes. We start thinking some crazy things. So he says, you're out. And so it says in verse 35, I love this. Jesus heard that they put him out. And finding him, you see the intentionality of Jesus? He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one you are speaking to. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This is an amazing story that I hope we glean from today. This is an amazing story of a guy who's just sharing what God's done in his life. And people are understanding and seeing, man, something changed with this man. So there's three truths as we finish up today. Three truths from this man's story that I hope encourage you and challenge you like they have me. 
And I, I hope we, we really want to make these very practical, right? We're trying, to, we're trying to have a thousand gospel conversations in the next five, six weeks. How can we all walk out of here today fully equipped? Man, as we have conversations with the people we work with, the people we go to school with, the people on our ball field, we want to be fully equipped. So I hope today is very practical for you. Because we want to really just plug this into our lives. We don't want to keep it up here in spiritual world. Let's plug this in when we leave this place today. So here's the first thing we, we understand from this man's story. He simply shared what Jesus did for him. Nothing crazy. I mean, read the story again. Like, he just tells exactly what happened. It's kind of a weird story, but man, I can't explain it, guys. The guy, I couldn't see. I heard some commotion around me, and the guy spit on the ground. He made some mud. He put it on my eyes. He told me to wash. I washed, and I can see. No seminary degree. No, no, no three points of a sermon. No, no uh, you know, Bible verses attached to it. He just said, here's the deal. I was blind yesterday, and right now, because of what Jesus did, I'm not blind anymore. So again, for us. We've already practiced this a few times in this service. What has God done in your life? Think about you personally. Let's, again, let's, let's pause on the guy in John 9 for a minute and think about you. Think about me. What has God done in your life? What has Jesus done for you? Because that is your story. That's what you just need to share with people. Because everyone has a unique story. You can bring people here to hear Pastor Vance speak an amazing message. But they'd be way more open sometimes to listening to you because they know you. And they just want to hear what Jesus did for you. So as you share with people, as you have gospel conversations, do what this guy did. Simply share what Jesus has done for you. See, if you're like me, a lot of times I, I get all worked up with how to do it right. right? I, I start thinking, man, I, I want to make sure I, I say the right stuff. Or I want to make sure I have the right words. And, and here's this guy. He's saying, I was blind. And then get this, guys. Uh, I can see. And Jesus did that. It's simple. It's so, so simple. You don't need a degree. You don't need to know a bunch of Bible verses. You don't need to have a bunch of things memorized. You can just tell people, this is what Jesus has done in my life. When you have gospel conversations, simply share what Jesus has done. Again, I get so worked up sometimes, and maybe you do too. Okay, I'm about to have this conversation, and I want to make sure I do it right, and I want to make sure I say the right thing. And honestly, what that is, is if we're not careful, it's actually us starting to think that we have something to do with people's salvation. Here's the deal. This is freeing for me as I study this. Like, it is my job to share, and it is God's job to save. It is not my job to save people. So you don't have to worry about all the right words and all the right things. Listen, God in the Bible, you can read this in the Old Testament, spoke through a donkey. You're like, that's crazy. I know. It's one of those stories as I'm reading the Bible with my kids. I'm going, yeah, kids, I don't understand. That's weird. But God used it. God did it. So if he can use a donkey, he could probably use you and your fumbled words. Jesus changed your life. If you're a Jesus follower, tell people about that. It's not your job to save. It's God's job to save. It's your job to share. So this guy, he simply shared what Jesus did for him. Here's the second thing. What he shared was powerful. The religious leaders, read the story. He, they tried to pick it apart. They couldn't believe it because if this is true, 
If this is the same guy that sat for years and begged for money and couldn't see and we outcasted him, if he now can see and now he's going to get a job and he's plugging into the society, then we have to explain that. So they're doing all these spiritual gymnastics to try to figure it out. Because if they come to the point of saying that is true, they got something to deal with. Because what he shared was powerful. John 9, 25, he says, though I was blind, now I can see. This guy's life had been changed by Jesus. And here's what I want us to see today. All lives that have been changed by Jesus are powerful. Some of you guys may be reading this story, and I've done this myself. You're reading this and you're going, man, I wish I had a story like that. How cool would it be if I was Lazarus and I was literally dead in a grave and Jesus resurrected me? How cool would it be if I was blind and then I could see? What a testament. Then I could really have some gospel conversations because I have a story to tell. The enemy may try to convince you and me that your story isn't amazing. That, that, that the grace that God saved you with really isn't amazing. Church, can I tell you, the reality is this morning, the Bible says that you were blind. You and I were spiritually blind. It even goes further than saying you were crippled or you were paralyzed. The Bible actually says, this is really encouraging for us today, that before you met Jesus, you were dead spiritually. We just as a church got done preaching through my favorite book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians. Let's not ever forget what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It paints a very bleak picture in the first three verses. It says that you and I were running as fast and as hard as we could towards sin. We were completely cut off from a relationship with God. We were dead in our transgressions. We were hopeless and we had no hope of ever meeting Jesus. You say, that is encouraging. It is when you read verse 4. After all that in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 it says, but God. Not but Scott. Not but you. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with, with Christ. And here's where John Newton had, he landed. By grace you have been saved. You, he, he, he said, like John Newton, you and I, the Bible says, were a wretch. And God saved us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a powerful story no matter how it unfolded. The enemy tricks a lot of people into believing that their story just isn't that cool because they don't have this really crazy transformation. I'd say being dead and being resurrected spiritually is pretty awesome. You have an amazing, amazing testimony. My story is a story of amazing grace. Your story is a story of amazing grace. This man's story in John 9 is a story of amazing grace. We were once blind and now we see. If you're a Christian... You have been miraculously saved by amazing grace. Whether you were 6 years old or 16 years old or 60 years old, it's the same God and the same amazing grace. So let's apply this. Let's apply this. Again, we don't want to keep it up here in spiritual land. Let's apply this. What does this mean for my life? Well, as you have gospel conversations, church, don't misrepresent God's grace by minimizing your story. What do you mean? Oh, man, you know, Jesus is really awesome, and I can tell you about this guy and this guy. But for me, I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I don't really have a really cool story. Listen, in that moment, you are misrepresenting the amazing grace that God saved you with. Don't misrepresent God's grace by minimizing your story. Now, don't go in there and boast, because that's the other way. We're not boasting about who we are. We're boasting about who Christ is. So tell the story of how the Bible says I was dead, but God, by his grace, nothing that I did, all by his grace I've been saved. He saved me. Don't misrepresent God's grace by minimizing your story. You have a powerful story.
I love how Louis Giglio said it. He's a pastor in Atlanta. He said this, people say all the time, I don't have a good testimony because they think their story has to involve some dramatic change, story of change from bad to good. But Jesus didn't come to save people this way. Sin doesn't make us bad, it makes us dead. Jesus came to save by bringing the dead to life. And that's an amazing testimony. As you have gospel conversations, do what this guy did. He simply shared what Jesus had done for him. What he shared was powerful because of what Jesus has done for him. And here's the last thing today. What he shared was certain. What he shared was certain. John 9, 25, he says, one thing I know, right? Because everyone's trying to confuse him. Were you not really blind? And maybe you just had a thing in your eye. Like, what was going on? He said, listen, guys, one thing I know. I was blind. And now I see. There were many things. Again, we can't understate right here. We can't overstate. This guy's life is completely different. He's no longer an outcast. So he's trying to go get jobs. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life. Because now he's not just the blind beggar that nobody paid attention to. So there were many things I'm sure that this guy didn't know about now that his life had been changed. But here's one thing he did know. I was blind. And now I see. As you share the gospel, hopefully this is encouraging for you, you can be sure of your salvation. We don't have to wonder. I wonder if I'm really saved because I did that thing last night or I thought, thought those thoughts. Listen, as a believer in Jesus, if you are a Jesus follower, you have been saved. You can be sure of your salvation. And as we share about that salvation, we need to make sure we are very clear about the gospel. We need to be sure, we, we can be sure of our salvation and we need to be clear when we communicate to people about the same grace that saved you. Here's the practical application that you think may not need to be said, but it needs to be said. When you have gospel conversations, don't forget the gospel. So I don't really understand why you're saying that. This is really important because if you're anything like me, I'm going to give you a couple snapshots of things that I've said in my life before and, and conversations I've had. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate to something like, man, I told my coworker the other day, he's going through a really hard time. And so I was really excited. I told him, man, keep the faith. Just have faith, man. I've said that. I mentioned to my friend that I love this new devotional that I've been checking out. And, and I sent them a link to Amazon, and maybe he can pick it up one day, and, and I'd love to talk to him about it. That's awesome. Maybe something like, I sent my husband a link to a new worship song that we've been singing at Hope, and I, I hope it really encourages him when he, when he drives to work each day. Listen, those are great conversations. But what I need us to see today, Hope Church, and what I need to see is those are great conversations, but those are not gospel conversations. Those may open the door to some awesome gospel conversations, but I love there was a guy, as I said that in the 815, when I said, man, I told my coworker, man, just have faith. And from the back you heard, faith in what? Right? That's true. Faith in what? I mean, you say that in, in, in 2019 anywhere, and people are going to fill in the blanks on their own but a million different ways to have faith. The Bible speaks to it in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So Jesus follower, as you, communicate the, as you communicate with people and have gospel conversations, you have to tell them what they can have faith in. And that is Christ. That is the gospel. We must clearly communicate the gospel. And again, we don't want to take anything for granted here today. So you may be asking, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came to the earth, lived a perfect life. 
He died for our sin in our place on the cross. And he resurrected victoriously to defeat death, hell, and the grave three days later. That is as simple as it can be, the gospel. But even simpler, I love how J.D. Greer, a pastor in North Carolina, says it. You want to know what the gospel is, he says? Here's the gospel in four words. Jesus in my place. So when we have gospel conversations, as simple as it may sound, we have to tell people that. We have to communicate the gospel. And that's one of the things I love about Hope Church. I started coming to Hope Church right out of college in 2007. This is back when, some of you remember this, Pastor Vance used to wear uh, pleated khakis and a tucked in shirt every single week. He was still rocking that look and he was Hope Baptist Church and this fiery southerner was on stage just preaching and I fell in love with it. I said, I want to follow that guy. And ever since I've started coming to Hope Church, it hasn't changed. The new buildings, the new lights, the new things. Now Vance is is, is preaching in some Air Air Force Ones and cool clothes, right? Nothing's changed when it comes to this. You can tell him I said that. Nothing's changed when it comes to this. At Hope Church, we preach the gospel. Here's, Hope Church might not be the church for you if you're coming to church to hear about five ways to change your marriage for the better. Or here's three ways to have a new kid by Friday. Here's two things you can do to live a more positive life. Those are great things, but here's the deal. We believe because of the scriptures that if we just preach that and not the gospel, all those things are in vain. Because your marriage doesn't really get better for real unless you have the gospel in it. So I hope church, get used to the gospel because we are just going. I've been here for 12 years and it's every single week you're going to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. So as you have gospel conversations... Don't forget the gospel. I want to share just as we close here a story in my own life. Vance said a couple weeks ago, and I love that he said it, but sometimes you look up here and you think we're just killing this thing. We're having gospel conversations with every waiter, every person at the gas station. Pastors, man, they're just killing this game. That's just not true. It's just as awkward for us as it is for you. And so when I was on vacation this last summer, Um, When I'm on vacation, I really just try to zero in on on what God wants to kind of show me for the next season. And so I'm spending time with God each morning and just asking God, show me, Lord, what what, what do you have for me this next season? And it was so clear. I talked to my wife about it throughout the trip. It was so clear. God was putting on my heart just a heart for evangelism. Everything we're talking about, communicating to people that Jesus saves telling them what's happened to me. And so if you know me, basically I took that and I'm like this dreamer, creative guy. And so I take it to the drawing board and I start mapping out like this whole strategy for preaching the gospel to people. I mean, literally I have like this whole plan and I'm like, all right, God, here's my plan to reach more people. And I imagine God kind of laughing. So pause on that story for a minute. The other side of the story is that a couple years ago, I retrofitted my garage into a, a garage CrossFit gym. And so we have a bunch of people, a bunch of my friends that come over every day, and we do CrossFit in my garage. And most of the people that come are Jesus followers. But there's this one guy. I met him through CrossFit a few years ago. He's a younger guy, just kind of likes me and loves my family. And so I invited him to come be a part of our, our, our home gym. And he comes, and I know he doesn't know Jesus. And so here I am over here mapping out this whole evangelism strategy to reach the neighborhood and reach all these people. And God one day just saw, made me see him and go, hey, you're mapping out this whole plan, but what about the guy you work out with every single day for the last three years? You've never verbally shared with him what's happened to you. And that could feel awkward. So I did what 
you guys might have done in your life, and it's kind of an awkward deal, but you say, hey, man, let's go out to lunch. I want to talk to you about something. And he's already like, we just work out. We don't do lunch. What's up? <laughs> but if you want a way into a young man's heart, just offer him to buy him a free burrito, and he'll come. <laughs> so we show up at Cafe Rio on Eastern, and the first thing I did is I apologized to him. I said, hey, man, I want to let you know what I'm about to share with you, I should have shared with you three years ago when we first started working out together. Because it's the single most important thing in my life. And I'm sorry that every day we've talked about all the ways we work out and all these different CrossFit things, but I've never shared with you the thing that actually changes your life. And that's my relationship with Jesus. And so I did, not because I'm awesome, but because I'm just looking at the scriptures and following the Holy Spirit's lead. I did what we talked about today. I just shared with them my story. Man, when I was 17, I met Jesus. I'd never been to church. I didn't, I wouldn't grow up in a Christian context. And I, I started going to this church and, and I got saved. What, what does that mean? It means that I realized I was a sinner. It means that I realized I needed a savior. Again, this is the gospel part. It'd be a lot easier. Can I just tell you, it'd be a lot easier to get the guy a burrito and say, man, Jesus is awesome and have faith. Let's go work out. But that's not the gospel. That doesn't save him. So I walk through the gospel, and it's awkward. We can just say that. We're in church. Like, it's awkward. When you start saying things about sin and being dead in your transgressions, if you've ever been there, people start looking at you a little funky like, you believe that? But you just trust God. You share, he saves. So I just share with him the gospel. And I wish I could say every single gospel conversation ended the way this one did, but I gave him a couple of days to think about it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, bow your head and pray and do the thing right there because I know he, you could just see he was mulling over. He didn't know what to think, what to do. So I said, man, let me know if you have any questions. The next day he texts me. He said, man, I'm ready. This is exactly what I've been looking for in my life. And I thank you for sharing it for me because I'm ready. What's next? Amen. Listen, it's your job to share. It's God's job to save. I would still tell this story if he said, man, that's cool, but it's not for me. It's my job to share. It's God's job to save. In this situation, God saved. So I bought this kid a Bible, and now we're going to start meeting up. And, and I said, hey, read the book of John. And I texted him a couple weeks later. I said, hey, man, um, how's it going in John? He said, I'm finishing it up today. What's next? I'm like, whoa, okay, let's, let's read this. And let's start meeting up and talking about Jesus. And this is discipleship. That's a story from my life. You look up here, and sometimes you think, I have 55 gospel conversations that I can tell you about that I had yesterday. It's just not how it is. But this is a situation where I was doing this thing. I was making it spiritual and planning this thing. And God said, what about the guy that walks in your garage every day? Share with him what I've done for you. Because it's powerful. And don't forget the realness of it. Don't forget the gospel part of it. Because that's the part that saves. So what would it look like, Hope Church? What would it really look like if we all started doing that? If we all started having those awkward moments where you say, hey, man, I'm sorry we never talked about this, but can we go out to coffee because I got something to share with you? What would it look like if you say, hey, instead of going out with the rest of friends at the cubicle, let's go into the break room. Can I talk to you for 10 minutes about something that is really important to me? It might be awkward. You might fumble through your words, but it's your job to share and it's God's job to save. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you because that's really powerful. And make sure you talk, talk to them about the gospel. You can't have a go gospel conversation without the gospel. So tell them the truth, because only the truth can save. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. God, we rejoice that you do save. 
We rejoice that you are on the throne right now, ruling and reigning, and you have all power in your hand, and you want to save people even right now. Thank you for what you did in the, the guy's life in John 9. He was blind, and now he sees. We were spiritually blind, and now we see. So God, I pray for whatever you want to do here. I don't want to try to assume what you want to do in this place with everyone in this room. But I pray you just move and work and have your way as we respond. Just as we take a couple minutes and just respond to what God may be speaking to you. Maybe today you're here and the reality is this whole Jesus thing, gospel thing is all brand new to you. Your friend invited you and you're just here. The first time you've been in church in a while. And you're thinking, I, this is all so new for you. I want to give you the words that, that Jesus gave the guy in John 9. Jesus asked him, do you believe in me? Maybe today your step is to say, man, I, I want more information about this. Maybe you're where my friend was at Cafe Rio and you're really thinking about all this because it's exactly what you need in your life right now. God has brought you to a place on November 17, 2019 where you're here for a reason. Don't just rush past that. Maybe today is the day you say, I believe, and you worship God through Christ. I love, I don't know who has this quote, but it's a great quote. It says, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. That's so true today. We are all beggars at the king's table today. The, the table is open. There is an amazing feast in Christ. Stop looking for begging for, for crumbs. Stop looking for what you can't do on your own. Come to the feast today. I have to do something. I got to figure out a way to get a little better in my life before I do that. No, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There are no rock stars in the kingdom. We are all beggars at the king's table today, and we're inviting you, come feast. Stop carrying the things you were never created to carry. So maybe that's you today. You need to respond. We're going to have pastors here in a minute. You just like to come and say, hey, I want that, that relationship with Jesus. I understand Jesus has died for my sin, and I accept that forgiveness. We'll do what I did with my friend. We'll get you a Bible, and we'll start walking with you and showing you how to follow Jesus. Maybe others of you are thinking about, as I was talking about my friend, you had one, two, three names that were popping up, and you know that's exactly where you are. You're hearing all this stuff the last couple weeks about having gospel conversations, and you're avoiding at all costs that one that Jesus is zeroing in on and saying, this is who I'm talking about. And you know it needs to happen today or tomorrow or this week. And maybe you just like to pray about that. So we're going to be up here in a minute, our pastors. We would love to pray that as you have that conversation, as you share God would save. Maybe you have other things going on in your lives today that you would just like your pastors to pray for, to come alongside you and pray for you. We love doing that in this time. So as we respond, however God is moving, as we sing, don't ignore it. Let God do what he wants to do in your life today. Jesus, thank you again for what you're doing. I pray you move and work and have your way in this time. You are worthy, God. You are strong to save you are powerful, and we trust that you're going to move in amazing ways even right now as we sing. We love you. In Jesus' name.